We're going to be going to the book of Luke, chapter 13, and we're going to be reading verses 1 through 9. Luke, chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. I found out the last song we sung, what we, we, we struggled today. Uh, Brother Darrell did, and I did uh, in the song service, and I, I realized on that last song, uh, I know for sure what key I play that in. It feels so good being here again. And I was, I started down there, and I couldn't hardly get nothing out. It was so doggone low. And I realized that uh, they had a, they had some problems over here. They, uh, there was a keyboard fail Wednesday night, and I'm back there thinking, Lord, I'm glad that thing didn't fall while I was playing it. You know, and the lady was playing it Wednesday night. The top one fell and crashed into the speaker down there. And um, this one that's up there right now has been transposed into another key. Um, when I'm playing what's supposed to be F, we're coming up with, a, I don't know, B flat, E flat, or A, a something, but it ain't F. So that's what a problem was today in our song service. And me trying to fight all that, this man has got my horse, my horse. <laughs> Yes, it's got me hoarse. That's right. Luke 13, verses 1 through 9. There were present at that season some who told him about the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 to whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse sinners than all other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. He also spoke this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. Then he said to the keeper of his vineyard, Look, for three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? But he answered and said, Sir, let it alone this year also, and I will dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, well. But if not, after that, you can cut it down. I want to speak to you on a subject title today, Judgment Delayed by Grace. Judgment Delayed by Grace. By grace. God, as we come today, we thank and we praise you for your goodness and your grace. Thank you for your spirit. I thank you, God, for those who were healed as we pray today. I speak that by faith, God, and accept it that we're going to hear some good reports and testimonies. But now as we get into your word, I'm asking you to lay your hand upon me. Give me the note that I need that we may that I may speak the words that you'd have for this congregation today. In Jesus' name of the church say. Amen. You can be deceived. Hallelujah. The minds of most Americans are remembering the tragic day ten years ago. Brother, Brother Bobby mentioned that uh, in his uh, Sunday school lesson this morning. The minds of most Americans are remembering the tragic day ten years ago which forever changed our nation and the world. On that Tuesday morning, 19 terrorists from Islamic 
militant group we've come to know now as Al-Qaeda hijacked four passenger aircraft. The hijackers intentionally crashed two planes, one of them American Airlines Flight 11 and United Airlines Flight 175 into the Twin Towers of the World Trade Center in New York City. We watched in horror as both towers collapsed within two hours. Hijackers crashed American Airlines Flight 77 into the Pentagon in Arlington, Virginia. And still there was another jet, a fourth jet, United Airlines Flight 93, who crashed into a field near Shanksville, Pennsylvania, after heroic passengers find, found out what had been going on, they attempted to take control of the aircraft before that the hijackers could reach their intended target in Washington, D.C. And just 20 minutes out. All total, close to 3,000 people lost their lives that day. I think right now before we go any further, we all ought to bow our heads and just pray a brief prayer for all those family members who are left behind and are feeling, still feeling this grief today. Would you do that, please? God, we come to you in prayer. We do this today because tragically, in the city of New York where this one of these events took place. Their memorial service went to go on whom the mayor did not feel should have prayer in the middle of the service. But today we're praying, asking you, Lord, to be with all of those people who've lost mothers, fathers, parents, children, whatever. Strengthen them, Lord, and strengthen our nation. Help our nation, Lord. America needs revival. And I'm asking you, God, to some kind of way help us to get back to the place we need to be in you. In Jesus' name, let everybody say, Amen. Almost immediately after the attacks on that tragic day, some people began to claim that those who died were judged by God because of their sins. Even certain ministers like Jeremiah Wright says, and I quote, America's chickens have come home to roost, unquote. But the answer to all those imagined assumptions is found in the words of Jesus concerning some tragic events that occurred in His day. It seems like that there always have been people so blinded by their own faults and sins, yet somehow they can still see clearly enough to view everybody else's faults and sins. Jesus told them people back that day that they had a tower back then that fell. 
it was an accident, it was a tragic thing, and there were people who lost their lives. And some of them was running around saying, well, those people were far worse sinners because they suffered such things. Jesus says, no. They're not no worse than anybody sitting here in front of me among, me, uh, among us right here and now. He said, and unless you repent, you're going to likewise perish. Hallelujah. Unless you repent. The fact of the matter is that we all need to be overtaken by the judgment of God. Every one of us. Every one of us deserve to be overtaken by the judgment of God. There's not an innocent man or woman or boy and girl in this building today from the pulpit all the way back through the building. The Bible states the plain truth which many of us ignore and simply won't face up to. Romans 3, 9, and 10, what then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Some of us forget that part of the Word of God. Evidently do when we're pointing our finger at somebody else all the time and trying to, to find a little speck of sawdust in somebody else's eye when you've got a two-by-six sticking out of your own eye. Romans 3 and 23 states, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That don't leave anybody out of the equation. I've never seen a perfect man without sin or a perfect woman without sin. I've heard a lot of jack-legged preachers running around claiming that stuff, but it's not the truth. Jesus Christ, when, when God became man, He was the only man of humanity who lived a perfect, sinless life. We've all had issues that we have to deal with and overcome. If you, if you didn't have the blood of Jesus, wouldn't have been no, there'd be no point to it. Jesus told the religious, self-righteous people in His day that those who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell were no more ungodly than themselves. And He further stated that unless they repent, they would one day perish also. We all need to be thankful for judgment delayed by grace. I'm thankful... That grace has delayed judgment in my life many times. I deserve judgment. I deserve hell. But grace came in between me and the judgment of God and says, hold on a minute. And judgment delays hmm. judgment is delayed by the grace of God and I have I have serious questions for the churchgoer who can sit and watch the news or pick up a newspaper and see something tragic event happen to somebody else, and then have the attitude, well, serves them right. 
Oh, yeah, I've heard it. I've heard it by so-called godly people. Serves them right. It serves us all right, folks. It serves us all right. But you're here right now, alive and living among the, um, among the, among the living, because your judgment has been delayed by grace. Hallelujah. We got a different America today. It's not the same. A lot of stuff has changed. A lot of stuff has changed around the world. But I want to take a little time to talk with you about this today. I want you, number one, I want you to understand that judgment will come. It's the first thing I want to share with you. Judgment will come. The Word of God tells us the judgment day is coming. The Bible talks about the great white throne judgment. It talks about the judgment seat of Christ. Judgment day will come. And I don't know about you, but I, I, I don't care to have to hasten that on none. Come on. Well, I thought you was ready, ready to go and meet the Lord, Brother Sammy. Why, why wouldn't you want God to hasten on the dead judgment? Because I've got family who's still lost. I got people I love that I want to see saved. And even though churches don't sing these kind of songs no more because we don't got some modern, we got all these so-called worship tunes. There, there's still some of them old hymns that I, that I still sing, and one of them is, "Wait a little longer, please, Jesus. There are so many wandering out in sin." Just a little longer, please, Jesus. Wait a few more days to get my loved ones. Church, let me talk to Christ's family church right now. I don't, I don't care about no other church, no other congregation. I just, just right here. We don't need to see no more demonstration of the Holy Ghost. You can see all the demonstration of the Holy Ghost that you would ever want to see in our services. I know we sometimes we, people say, well, you know, we're, uh, we're not this and we're not that. I'm going to tell you something, folks. Amen. The power of God rules and reigns in our services, and God steps in and He shows out all the time. We don't need to see more Holy Ghost demonstration. We don't need to see more of uh, this kind of singing or that kind of singing or that. But I'm going to tell you one thing that we do need to see more. Amen. And that's more compassion. Hallelujah. More compassion over people that are dying lost. Glory to God. Because if you had the compassion, amen, that you had, you would never lay your head on a pillow and go to sleep at night until you prayed and you called out, amen, every loved one's name that you have. God, save him or save her before you come home. That judgment, Lord. Let no let grace delay judgment because I don't want to see nobody lost. Oh, but they deserve this. We don't need to get on that bandwagon, folks. 
my Lord, I don't have enough time to tell everything that we all here sitting here today deserve from God. And sadly, we got people today that has that kind of frame of thought in mind. I think I've told you a story before. Over to the church several years ago, there was somebody came up praying to be filled with the Holy Ghost. I've been seeking for the Holy Ghost for a long time and hadn't got it yet. And I stepped down and, and, uh, uh, and they, they were praying. People were praying around. So I stopped praying for a minute and I, I just... And I, I believe now it was the Lord that had me to do that ever, ever what, ever what this, uh, because of what this person was praying. Because they were praying, Oh God, uh, fill me with the Holy Ghost, Lord, because I deserve it. I stopped and told them, I said, As long as you pray a prayer like that, you'll never get it. You never get it. There's nothing that we ever receive from the from the hand of God or His goodness and His works that we deserve. Everything comes by grace. Undeserved love and favor. I'm doing a study right now on the on the word grace in the Bible. Started out starting out in the very beginning when the first time grace was mentioned. And I'm doing a word study on that. And I'm going to tell you, folks, grace in the Bible a lot of times is translated favor. And it's, it, it, and it's favor that we get from God that we don't deserve. Hallelujah. I believe every parent in here has given children that you had growing up gifts and, and did things special to them. At the time, you didn't feel like they deserved it. That's what grace is from God to us. You've been a dirty, rotten scoundrel all week, and you let your light shine. Hadn't, hadn't even thought about, about church since you left here last Sunday. So you come running, up, come running on up in here, trying to get, uh, get something from God. And if you've got to be honest, you've got to know from what all you've done all through the past week, you don't deserve it. A lot of times, because of His grace, He touches you. He encourages you. Thank God for judgment. It's delayed because of grace. But I'm here to tell you, folks, judgment will come. You better understand that. Isaiah chapter 10, verse 3 says, What will you do in the day of punishment? Original King James says, In the day of judgment. What will you do in the day of punishment? And to the desolation which will come from afar. To whom will you flee for help? And where will you leave your glory? On the Sunday morning after 9-11, I stood, and most of you that are here today was not there then, our congregation was somewhat, quite a bit of somewhat smaller. But on that Sunday after 9-11, I got up behind the pulpit at 1901 Marina and I declared, when some was claiming, well, at New York City, them low-down dirty scoundrels up there, them Yankees, 
They deserve it. I got up behind the pulpit and I declared that this was not judgment, but what it was was a wake-up call. And for the few of you that was there then, maybe you will remember that phrase that I used. That it's not judgment, but it's a wake-up call. A call to this nation and around the world that God's long-suffering and mercy for the inhabitants of this planet is soon to end unless there is a change. It was a wake-up call. Not just for Americans, but nations all over the world. Now, listen to me very close for the next few minutes. This is not going to be long and drawn out. But I want to remind you some things. But sadly enough, we remember the events of that day, yet we have forgotten the one we all turned to for comfort, help, and strength on that day. Everybody remembering the events of 9-11. They're etched in our minds. They're, they're, uh, it's something that we'll never, never forget. There's a few things that happen to you in your life that affects you on such a level that you don't ever forget it. Most of the stuff that happened the next day, I don't slip my mind. But there's a few things that, it, that has taken its toll on me that becomes permanently etched. I can tell you where I was and what I was doing when the school teacher told the class that I was in that President John F. Kennedy has been assassinated in Texas. And I remember sitting at that school desk, and it was an elementary school, and I looked out the window and saw them go out and lower the flag to half mass. We remember certain events. All those pictures is still in my mind that we remember. But when you begin to talk about the one whom America and the world turned to for comfort, help and strength on that day. We've forgotten all about Him. They Now they want to have memorial services, amen, around the country without praying. The mayor in New York City says, well, it, uh, it, it just offends too many people. How soon do we will forget that this whole nation was on their knees ten years ago? We had Democrats and Republicans standing on the steps of the Capitol praying. People were calling out to God. Church houses were full. We don't forget about that. We don't forget about that. We, since 9-11, have boldly slapped the Creator in the face and declared unto Him that His commandments, His authority, and His Word no longer have place in our lives and in our world. Because we ignored the wake-up call of 9-11... 
and we hit the snooze button and fell back off to sleep. God has allowed the events of 9-11 become pale in comparison to what we have seen since on a worldwide scale. Stop and think about it, church. From 9-11 until now, there's a whole lot of stuff that has happened since 9-11 that we have never saw before. That was only the beginning. It was the beginning of the end is what it all boils down to because God tried to send this country and nations of the world a wake-up call, but we do God the same way you do that alarm clock some mornings you hit that snooze button and go back off to sleep. And things, there were almost 3,000 that day die. Uh, close to 2,800. But that since then, things that have happened because of our neglection. Listen to this. Listen to me. In 2003, two years after 9-11, a heat wave strikes France. I read an article that was posted in a French newspaper that I got off the Internet. And it was headline news. French authorities have announced a plan of action after officials revealed an estimated 3,000 people have died due to heat-related causes in the last two weeks. 9-11, wake-up call. Nobody heeded the call. Prayed a little prayer, hit the snooze button, went back to bed. Heat wave that kills 3,000 people. In 2004, an earthquake in the Indian Ocean, one of the largest on record at 9.0 on the Richter scale, triggered a tidal wave and tsunami which took the lives, that wake-up call on 9-11, not quite 3,000. People ignored it, went back to sleep. Evidently, 3,000 people was not good enough. We've got to have something else. So in 2004, earthquake hits, tidal waves and tsunamis took the lives of 230,000 people in 14 countries. Never has happened on that scale before. Look as far back as you want. We're living in end-time things. And we are bringing it on ourselves. 230,000 people drowned, washed out the sea, that most of their bodies still has not been found today. Fourteen different countries affected by it. We got some leaders always wanting to run the war. 
spend dollars that we don't can't spend, sticking our nose in other countries' business, not realizing that if we would just take care of our own business and serve God, God would take care of it. He's already promised in His Word that no weapon formed against you shall prosper. So also in December of 2004, everybody's worried about Iran. In December 2004, an earthquake hit Iran, killing 28,000 people. I'm not further through. 2010, I went. I went and I got a collection of disasters around the world. And believe me, I'm leaving a whole lot out because I knew I don't have time. 2010, earthquake shook Haiti. Estimated, 200,000 people dead. With one. Point eight million people homeless. You don't think something's been happening in the world? You don't. You don't think that when God tries to give something by His grace, give a wake up call, and then people doesn't doesn't does not listen to that call, that we're not that we're not going to pay for that? And the list goes on and on. Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans. Twisters now hitting U.S. cities the world that never has been no twister. Humongous size tornadoes literally wiping cities like Joplin, Missouri off the map. All happened since 9-11. Now, wildfires, droughts, and pestilence outbreaks because of food contamination that we have never seen before. People are beginning to be poisoned through food sources. That never has happened before. It all falls under the category in the Bible and Revelation talks about there will be pestilence. You see, church, what was a wake-up call unanswered has led to a book of Revelation end-time events. If we had heeded totally to the wake-up call, there's a lot of things that's happened since that we wouldn't have had to worry about. I believe that as much as I believe I'm standing here. Grace has delayed judgment, but it will not do it always. That brings me to the second point of my message, which I've entitled The Point of No Return. Point of No Return. Go back to Genesis chapter 6 and verse 3. And the Lord said, My spirit 
shall not always strive with man forever. For he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. My spirit shall not always strive. I did a little study on that word striving. The God of grace, the God of mercy, the God of comfort and love told him in Noah's time, he says, I'm not going to sit around here and argue with y'all from now on. One definition of strive. God says, I've been pleading, I've been arguing. I've been doing everything to give people an opportunity to change their ways and to repent and begin to live the way that they know they should live. But Brother Kenneth, he told Noah, my spirit, my long suffering is fixing to come to a halt. He says, I'm not going to put up with this no longer. But the Scripture says, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found grace. He found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And the reason why Noah found that faith and that, and that favor It's because God said he was an upright man and perfect in his generation. He feared God. Out of a whole world that done gone completely crazy and a chaos, Noah was doing his best to take care of his wife and his family, trying do what he can so his his children wouldn't be influenced by the other people's children. Fighting some of the same battles that you and I fight. Trying to keep his home pure. So God looked down at Noah and you can translate that verse this way. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He found favor in You can also translate it this way. God looked down and He smiled on Noah. Let me ask you a question right now. Let me ask you a question and I'm fixing to close. When God looks at me, when He looks at you, do you bring a smile out of Him or a frown? Think about that. Have you ever thought about that? When he sees how sometimes that we we go off half cocked and want to bless this one out or bless that one out. Maybe we want to point at somebody and let them know they're number one when they cut us off on the highway. I've been told I was number one a whole lot. 
when we lay out a church, make up some kind of flimsy excuse while we're not there. Is God looking at you and smiling or is He looking at you and frowning? When He blessed you with a good job, when thousands of people are out of work and you're still drawing a good paycheck every, every time, when, when you... When you, when the offering pan comes by and you just throw God a tip instead of giving Him what you should give Him, is He looking at you and smiling or is He frowning? When you come to the house of God and the ministry leaders and the worship leaders begin to worship and praise, amen, and try to get to bring a praise and a worship to God out to get people to lift their hands and to give God an honor, amen, and we, some of us sit back here like a bunch of knots on the logs and don't want to move nothing, don't want to do anything. Is God looking at you and smiling or is He looking at you and frowning? Oh, it's tight, but it's right. It's the truth anyhow, and you better listen to the wake-up call and stop hitting that snooze button, sweetheart, because it's going to run you smack down into your face. And when it happens, don't call pastor, because pastor can't help you then. Don't call this one or that one, because they can't help you then. Hallelujah. Judgment is delayed by grace, but it's not going to be late. delayed forever. or no return. We depend upon grace so much we think that grace is going to always be there. But I'm here to tell you, you better take this pastor's warning. There's going to be a day you can't depend on grace. As beautiful grace is, as much as we sing Amazing Grace, how sweet to sing. I am, uh, the Lord giving me thought of a message that I'm, I'm working on now for, for a future date. Either he or somewhere else he's going to send me. I don't know. But I mean, let me do something that I don't normally do. I don't even allow Sister Darlene to look at my messages ahead of time. She'll tell you that. But I'm going to tell you, God's given me a message entitled, A Place That Grace Can't Go. A place that grace can't go. I didn't say a place that grace doesn't want to go, but a place that grace can't go. On the Niagara River in Buffalo, New York, I've been there several times growing up as a child with my parents. And on the Niagara River in Buffalo, New York, I remember as a child there was a tour guide on this little train. You could ride around through the park, see all the things, and be told about everything there about Niagara Falls and, and all that. I remember there was a tour guide pointing out a place out there in the middle of the Niagara River and that tour guide said that that spot out there close there's a big boulder or rock seems like I don't remember uh, remember exactly what what it was that pinpointed to let let them know. But anyway, there were, there's a place, there's a spot on the Niagara River that they call it the point of no return. 
if a swimmer or a boat or anything else pass beyond that point, there's no way back without going over the falls. Doesn't matter how good a swimmer somebody is, doesn't matter how powerful their motorboat is, if they go past that point and no return, it's a sure bet. You're going over the falls. That's why they call it the point of no return. You're going over the falls. Now listen to me in closing. I don't know exactly where we are as a nation in reference to the point of no return. But I do know that judgment has been delayed time and time again because of grace. Judgment has been delayed for nations and individuals. But it won't be delayed much longer. There is a point. There is an act that you can commit. There is a final warning that going unheeded will start a domino effect which can't be reversed or halted. What the Scripture tells us will happen, will come to pass. And I believe that there have been delays before due to grace and due to the prayers of the saints pleading for the salvation of their family members. But church... I close this message today by telling you there is a point of no return for the godless of this world which no matter prayer and no matter grace can pull them out of. We need revival and we need it now. We need it now. I believe that we're close to the second coming of Jesus. And the further people get from God and recognizing Him, the closer we're going to get to all these things being fulfilled and the end of this age and the judgment being set. Oh God, this nation. Let's stand together. I'd like you to join hands with those standing close to you. If you're not standing close to somebody, scoot next to somebody. I want, I want this closing prayer. I want us to join hands as a body. I want us to pray for our nation. I want us to pray that some kind of way this deadly course that we're making a mad dash that something will happen that will stop it. I don't want to give up on our country. I love America. I'm so, I'm so glad I was born in America. I thank God for this country. I thank God for this nation. Hallelujah. I stood and told y'all ten years ago, I said, you know, after what happened, even though that, that was done in, in, in New York and, uh, and in Washington, D.C. and in Pennsylvania, I said, to me in my heart, I feel like I have been attacked. 
And if and which now, because of age and other things, I doubt very seriously I'd be called upon. But if I was called upon to serve my nation in any kind of way, I'd be willing to do it. That's a chaplain or whatever, whatever that I could be used because I'm a priest in this nation. And I'm not ready to give up on this country. I believe that's one reason why Christ Family Church has survived what we have because God is bringing us back stronger than ever because there's still souls that needs to be saved. There's still people that need to be snatched out of the fire. There's some prostitutes over there who go to, uh, when they do, uh, uh, go to bed and try to get rest. Who've got so much guilt and they feel so filthy and they feel so dirty, but yet they 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 do things that they wouldn't normally do because they got to do something of that money to support their habit. Huh? God God wants to reach those people. Let's pray for our country, pray for revival, pray for us as a church that we band closer than ever before, that we are willing to fast like I asked for this coming week, and we're willing to do whatever what we can to see revival come to our nation. Let's all go to God in prayer right now. Mighty God, as we come before you, God, oh, Lord, we're so thankful, God, for your blessings. We're so, so thankful for your love. I'm so thankful, God, that grace has delayed judgment time and time again. But, God, I know according to your word that judgment will not be delayed forever. And, God, I'm asking, God, right now that you will help this nation, God, to repent. I pray like Jeremiah prayed for his country. God, forgive our country. Forgive me for our sins. Forgive our nation of our sins. Forgive us, oh, oh God. God, forgive, Lord, us in America, God, for where we failed and we've done wrong. I'm asking God to help me and help each one of us, God, to come together with such compassion and such love that we're willing to fast, to pray, to give whatever we need to give to see souls saved and lives changed. I pray for a special anointing to fall over on every man and woman in this house today. Give us an anointing, God. Let us leave here with purpose. Let us leave here with purpose and determination that we're going to be up and about the Father's business, and that we're going to look at a person. And we're not going to we're not going to see nothing but souls. We're not going to see color. We're not going to see race. We're not going to see social standing. We're going to see we're going to see souls. Give us a burden. Give us compassion for the lost. That we can save as many as we uh, that we can to get brought in before judgment is finally come. And all these things we pray and ask for in the blessed and mighty name of Jesus. Let the church say, Amen. Amen. God bless you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.